Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. So Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will seek it together. The Lord has spoken. A voice said, shout, I asked. What should I shout? Shout that the people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of our Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout it, do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them closer to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with the young. Uh, last week I had a simple question uh, for you, uh, and it was, a, as I said at the start, it was a one-point sermon, um, and this week is the same. I have another simple question. Last week I asked, what are you waiting for? This week I want to ask, who are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? Um, and so this is the second Sunday of Advent, uh, which is the, the, the season leading up to Christmas Day, where we celebrate the birth of our Saviour, uh, Jesus and so it's a, also a season of expectantly waiting for Jesus' second coming, uh, when he'll come on the clouds with glory, his second advent. That word advent means coming. And so the first coming of Jesus, that, that birth into the manger, is the promise of his second coming. Um, and so it's a season of waiting. And so we're thinking about what it means to wait and what we should be waiting for and who we should be waiting for. And as I shared last week, biblically, waiting isn't a passive sitting around, uh, doing nothing, just hoping something happens. It's a, an active, eager, persistent, prayerful pursuing. Those who wait upon the Lord doesn't mean those who sit on their bottom and just hope God does something. It's those who put their lot completely in the Lord and trust and hope completely in Him. And so this week, as I said, I want to ask, who are you waiting for? We, we spend a lot of time in life waiting for people. There may be some wives who are thinking, yeah, I spend a lot of time waiting for my husband to do something. I, I, I love seeing, I haven't got it on the screen, but this cartoon once I laughed, I said, wives, you don't need to nag your husband. If you ask them to do something, They'll do it. You don't need to keep nagging them every six months about it. That, that, that wives spend time sometimes, this is obviously I'm using some gender stereotypes, I apologize, but waiting for their husbands. Sometimes some husbands uh, might think they spend some time waiting for their wives to get ready before they go out perhaps. Um, and we spend time waiting at the supermarket for the checkout operator to be ready for us. We spend time 
waiting on call to a call centre to fix up our insurance or Centrelink, if that's you. Pray God's grace if you're dealing with Centrelink. Um, we spend time waiting for people. And so I want to ask you, who are you waiting for? Some of us will be waiting. Most of those people are probably out in the side room at the moment, but waiting for Santa. That this is a season of waiting for that day that, that Santa comes. But some of us are waiting for the church to do something, to be something, to satisfy something. Some of you are waiting for the pastor. That You're just waiting for the pastor to do that thing or to be that person or, or to fix that thing or to save that or, or do that or fulfill that. Some of us are waiting for the government. That, that, that if just the government would shift and if there was this change in government, if that person was prime minister, um, some people are waiting for Bill Shorten to be prime minister and some people are waiting for another person to be prime minister. Some of us are actually waiting for Michael Pilbrow to be prime minister. That's my hope, but um, I'm not sure how he feels about that, but I just think he'd be good. Um, but, but some of us are waiting for the government to be the thing that sets things right, that restores things. Some of us are waiting for a boss. That, that, that we'd get the right boss or that the boss would do and be something. Some of us are waiting for a mother and father. Some of us are waiting upon ourselves to be our saviour. So my question this morning is, who are you waiting for to save you, to satisfy you, to fulfill you, to protect you, to vindicate you, to make things right in the world, to rescue, to provide, to redeem? Who are you waiting for? Another way to ask this question would be, in who is your hope placed? Is your hope placed in Santa Claus or your wife or your husband or your church or hopefully not your pastor, but your government, your boss, your mother, your father, yourself? Who is your hope placed in? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have trusting relationships and healthy expectations in all of those areas, but, but who are you waiting for? to be who you need to be. And so this reading from Isaiah talks about uh, the the waiting and the expectation and the declaration of the coming of the Lord. And so in verses 3 and 5 it says, A voice of one calling out in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind, all of humanity, together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So as we talked about last week, that that this latter part of uh, Isaiah and these verses here are actually the turning point from Isaiah proclaiming that Israel is going to go into exile because of their sins. This is the turning point of saying they're going to be restored and redeemed. And so this is a time when Israel are, are, are waiting for political restoration. They're waiting for social restoration. They're waiting to be restored geographically to the promised land. They're, they're, they're waiting for economical restoration. They're waiting for the restoration of the walls around Jerusalem, the restoration of the structure of the temple. They're they're waiting for all of these things. And Isaiah says in that context, prepare the way for the Lord. That above all else, above 
anyone else that we're waiting for. The Lord is the one in whom we're to wait. We're not to prepare the way for any other thing or any other person. We're not to prepare the way for political reformation or revolution. We're to prepare the way for the Lord. In Mark chapter 1 and 3, that gospel of Jesus begins with those words from Isaiah, and I'm just going to read them for you from Mark, because Mark says in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, Now, most of us take that to, to mean, well, John's just saying, I'm starting the story here. But many interpreters actually believe that Mark, who, who penned this recollection of Jesus' earthly ministry, is saying that the beginning of the proclamation of Jesus began with the words that he's about to quote from Isaiah. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is what is written in the prophet Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. So Mark takes this prophecy of Isaiah and says it's about Jesus. That that prophecy of preparing the way for the Lord is about preparing the way for the word, God's own son, enfleshed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so who are you waiting for? Well, the answer should be Jesus. Waiting for Jesus as they waited, as we talked about last week, several people waiting for the Messiah through the Gospels. And and so there was this waiting and preparing the way of the Lord for Jesus in his first coming. We are in a season of waiting for Jesus, the Lord, to come in his glory. As he says, I will come on the clouds with glory. We are waiting for the second coming of Jesus, where all history will be wrapped up, where this heaven and this earth will be uh, brought to an end and a new heaven and a new earth will be created. We're, We're waiting for the Lord. But I also want to suggest this morning that that we should be waiting for Jesus. We should be waiting for the Lord to come into our here and now. Who are we waiting for to fulfill our needs? Who are we waiting for to transform our town? Who are we waiting for to bring revival? The answer should be for each of us, Jesus. Not Santa Claus, of course. Not the government not even the church or the pastor, though we hopefully participate in preparing the way for the Lord, but but who we wait for should be none other than Jesus. And so if it is Jesus we are waiting for, then we're called to prepare the way. Isaiah talks about making straight paths, bringing mountains down, bringing valleys up, smoothing rough ground. We can think of the Hume Highway that that doesn't have to wind through all these little villages and over these little hills and twisty and turny to make its way from Sydney to Melbourne anymore. They've raised up valleys, they've built bridges and and banks and they've ploughed through mountains so that 
the, the, the way has been made smooth and fast and somewhat less interesting perhaps, but, but the way has been smoothed. And so Isaiah uses this highway imagery to say this is how we should wait for the Lord. It's how we should wait for the Lord in His first coming. It's how we should wait for the Lord in His second coming. But it's how we should wait for the Lord to enter into our everyday life. Removing obstacles that hinder removing the mountains in our lives that that block us from from receiving more of Jesus uh, impact and, and ministry in our life raising up the valleys filling up the voids that that the, the places that we need healing so that Jesus can enter in more fully smoothing out the rough places Our waiting should not be passive. We should be preparing the way for the Lord by making a highway for Him into our lives. Making a highway so that the way is prepared that Jesus might come into our lives, into our town, into our church, into our nation to transform, to rescue, to fulfill, to vindicate, to make right, to do all that Jesus does. And so who are you making straight paths for in your life? Because who you make straight paths for, who you prepare the way for, will tell you who you're waiting for. Who are you making it easy to influence you? Who are you making it easy for to influence the world around you through you? Who are you waiting for? And so Isaiah says that we should be preparing the way for Jesus. It's Jesus, the Lord, that we should be waiting for. And he also goes on to say in the next few verses, because it's pointless waiting for anyone else. It's so common for us to put our hopes in people, in other people. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have healthy relationships, healthy trust and healthy expectations of others. But, but so often we pin our hopes to Jesus, uh, to people, sorry, that's a good thing, pinning our hopes to Jesus, pinning our hopes to people other than Jesus. And that is just a recipe for disappointment. No matter how good and amazing we think the person is, if we are waiting for anyone else than Jesus, it's pointless. Isaiah says this in verses 6 and 8. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry out? I just think I love that, that God is saying to the prophet, cry out, before he gives him the words to cry out. <laughs> what shall I cry out? All men are like glass. All men or all people are like grass. And their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. And so it's pointless waiting for anyone else. It's pointless hoping in anyone else. It's like putting your hopes in the grass that withers with the change of wind. It's like putting your hopes in something that appears to have substance, but as soon as the heat rises and the wind blows, it fades away to nothing. When, you're, when your lawn is green and lush, 
Um, it looks so voluminous and so substantial, but, but when it gets hot and the wind blows or you mow it and the grass clippings dry out, it's not very long before it's almost nothingness. And so no matter how substantial it may seem, the one that we're putting our hope in, if it's anyone other than Jesus, anyone other than the Lord, then, then it doesn't take much for the wind to blow, for uh, the, the, the sun to come upon it. And in, and, and in human terms, that could be anything. But it doesn't take much for it to wither away to nothing. And again, I know I'm repeating myself. I'm not saying we shouldn't have trusting relationships or healthy expectations of others, but, but the question is, who are you waiting for to satisfy the deepest needs of your soul? Who are you waiting for for our community, for our nation, for our church, for one another? If you were waiting for anyone else but Jesus, you will be disappointed with the results. I give you a 100% guarantee. You may not be 100% disappointed, but you will be 100% likely to be disappointed with the result. And so we need to wait for Jesus. We need to eagerly, expectantly, diligently, urgently wait for Jesus, not just for his second coming, not just for the, the end of all times, but for every day, every moment, everything in our life. And so Isaiah says the one that we should be waiting for and preparing the way for is Jesus. And he says that waiting for and preparing the way for anyone else is pointless and will lead to disappointment. And then Isaiah tells us the nature of the one that we wait for. He tells us who we are waiting for in a different sense. In verses 9 to 13, I'm going to go a little bit beyond where I asked Rachel to read, but in verses 9 to 13, it says, You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Here is your God. And then he goes on to explain who our God, who the Lord is. It's like that song we sang this morning, this is our God. And he goes on to say in verse 10, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. He, see, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And so Isaiah begins by saying, The one that we wait for is sovereign and almighty. He is powerful beyond compare. He is able to accomplish anything. And so the one on whom we wait is the almighty God. The Psalms put it this way, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. If he made all that is and all that exists, then there is no thing he is incapable of accomplishing. And Isaiah says he's bringing his reward, his vindication with him. It's not just a vision of God's might and strength and power. He's saying he's bringing a reward with him. Those who wait upon Him will be rewarded for their waiting. Those who trust in Him for their vindication will receive their recompense, their vindication from the Lord. And so there's this picture of God's might and His strength and His awesomeness that there is no one beyond the one who we wait for in Jesus our Lord. 
And then in verse 11, he, he paints a not contradictory but different picture. A complementary picture of who the Lord is. And it says in verse 11, He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and He carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. And so the Lord that we wait for is not only awesome and powerful and almighty and bringing reward and vindication with Him, He's gentle and tender and loving and caring just as a shepherd with his flock. And no offense to our modern day sheep farmers, but, but the way we farm sheep today doesn't create the same imagery as they, they did it in ancient Middle Eastern times. They lived their life in the field with their flock. They were in amongst the sheep, loving and caring and tending to them. The image of a shepherd was one who, who poured their life out for the sake of the sheep, but also these words go beyond the image of any human shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. This is an image of a shepherd who is more caring and more tender and more loving than any human shepherd. And so Isaiah says, the one in whom we're waiting, the, the Lord we wait for is almighty and all-powerful and none can compare to Him, but He's all loving and tender and, and merciful and gentle and compassionate and kind and none can compare to Him in that sense. And then he goes on in the, in the verses beyond what we've already read this morning in verse 12 uh, through to verse 13, and he says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed Him as His counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught, so I'm going through to verse 15 here, and who taught him the right way? Who was in the, sorry, who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust and scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. And so Isaiah paints this picture of God the Lord Jesus, the one in whom we wait, have been of higher knowledge and wisdom and understanding that, that none can compare to the mind of the Lord. There is no thing that he doesn't see. There's no thing that is not small to him. He holds the nations in his hand like a drop of water. There, there's this picture of this all-knowing, all-understanding God. And all others that we may wait for in comparison to him are chaff. The Lord is almighty, all-powerful, gentle, tender, loving, caring, all-knowing, all-understanding, all-wise. And so who are you going to wait for? Sometimes we, we don't know who we're waiting for until we are disappointed by that waiting and then we realise how much of ourselves we'd, we'd pin to 
someone else and we're hoping for that person to come through for us. But I want to encourage us as a church and as individuals this morning to take the opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and go, is there anywhere else in my life where I'm, I'm waiting upon someone for something that should only be waited up, waiting upon the Lord for? Some of the answer comes to us through the, the if-only thoughts that we might have from time to time. If only that person would this. If only our government would do this. If only the church would do this. If only the pastor had done this or didn't do that. Uh, if only. Uh, sometimes that's the answer to who, who we're really waiting upon. And so this morning, I, I want you to, to, to add to that question that we asked last week of what are you waiting for God to do to, to who are you actually waiting for? Transformation in our own lives, redemption in our own lives, salvation in our own lives, fulfillment in our own lives, satisfaction in our own lives, vindication in our own lives only comes through Jesus. And the same is true for our family. The same is true for our communities. The same is true for our nation. The same is true for our planet. Our only hope is in the Lord. And so He is the one we should wait upon. So who are you waiting for? As we wait for the celebration of Christmas, um, the carols are on this afternoon, so that's a celebration of Christmas. That's a short wait. I encourage you to participate in that. But as we wait for the celebration of Christmas Day, I want to encourage you not just to look back to Jesus' birth, not just to look forward <clears throat> pardon me, to His coming again, but, but let us wait on Him for and as the answer to every need and every hope and every dream in every moment of our life. Let me just say that again. Let us wait upon Him, the Lord, for and as the answer to every need and every hope and every dream in every moment of our life. And let us live lives that, that show it's Him that we're waiting for. Let us live lives that prepare the way for the Lord to transform us, but to transform the world through us. Let us live lives that show we're waiting for Jesus. Again, not just in His final coming, but in every moment. So we're going to invite our worship team to come up again, and they're going to sing a song, I believe, for We Have a Saviour. And... and um, I will pray before we release them into, into leading that song, but, but it's, it's poignant words because so often we wait for someone else to be our saviour. So often we, we wait for someone else, and so this song just affirms that we already have a saviour. There is no other one that we should wait for than Jesus. Um, so let me pray, and then let's celebrate that truth. And so, Father, we repent of waiting for anyone else but you.
We repent of placing our hope in in humans. We repent of entrusting our lives to to anyone else but you, Lord. And so I pray that as we do reflect on Jesus coming at Christmas, as we do wait for his second coming, that that our lives will be lives that prepare the way for the coming of the Lord into it and through it. May we wait upon you, Jesus, and you alone. Because in you we have a Saviour. In your name I pray, Jesus.